Well, welcome, Church. Um, as I'm sure you've been told, Hannah and I are on our holidays, so um, it'll be cool to uh, come to you from Yorkshire as we listen to the Word of God. We're away for a couple of weeks, but that doesn't mean the church is away. We still gather, and it's so good to be able to gather together in real person. And hi to you watching online uh, on YouTube live stream. For those who need to self-isolate, we love you. For those who can't make it today, we still love you um, as a church family. We are gathering together. Well, we gather under the word of God to worship God himself and a God who speaks and reveals. So, Lord, make us see you more. Make us hear you more as we look in Advent at this Christ child. May we see Christ and hear Christ and know Christ. Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to Isaiah 11. Please turn to it or turn your Bibles on as we look at this passage. You see, Isaiah is prophesying. He's speaking the word of God to the group of people called Judah. The people of Israel, um, after a major split, had Judah and Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And he's speaking here to Judah, God's people, around 700 years before Jesus came as a baby. There's a massive empire, Assyria, who are coming in arrogance and threat against Jerusalem. And God responds, God responds through the prophet by saying this, you are an axe in my hand and when I'm done with you, I'll hew you down. The climax of the judgment of God is that he's using this big nation to hew down sinfulness. It's a disastrous act for humanity, an act of judgment that we see here. We're beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11, but I want to take you back to chapter 10. You see, we, we've got this, this little mix here, a mix of two chapters. Remember, we, as we put together the Bible, are using it easy. We have chapters and verses, but that's not in the original. So we've made a chapter here, a chapter break between 10 and 11, but Isaiah spoke it and wrote it as one flowing piece. Verse 33 of chapter 10, he says, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lock the bowels with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. And then straight into verse 1, they shall, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. But we're right to put the chapter break in there to stop us for a second, because between the hewing of the forest, between the blitzing of this major forest of nations and people, this imagery of just stumps left, no growth, death everywhere, stumped forest. Imagine that we see that and we protest against it these days. You see, that's the image that God says. And then we have verse 1 of chapter 11. But out of one stump, the shoot will come. God, the majestic one in verse 34, hewn down the forest and then 700 years. That's why the chapter break is great to have. It doesn't happen as quickly as it seems. But out of this worrying image... It's so, it's almost as if it happens the next moment, but 700 years passes. Out of this image, out of this stump, we see a shard of grace, 
and a glimmer of mercy, which reflects an amazing light, like that little bit of glass that, that you just catch on the floor and so much light bounced off it that you know there's something there, but it's actually a tiny bit of glass. You see so much grace in this one act of God saying, but out of one stump will come a shoot. But 700 years passed. 700 years of waiting between the end of chapter 10 and the end of 11 when this prophecy came about. God is informing the people through Isaiah what will happen. But when it was lived in real life, they waited and waited and waited for the shoot. Verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse in a branch. From his root shall bear fruit. Jesse was King David's dad. So from the line of King David, a new shoot will come. A shoot will be a son of the same family, the same bloodline. This is an image of the prophecy we see in 2 Samuel 7. When, when we see Nathan give this prophecy to King David, God tells Nathan, he says, I declare that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for you offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of the kingdom forever. A branch will come from this great house of leadership given by God, the house of David, when all seems to have faded away and you want to come at this one branch, this one offspring will come from the body of David. And we will see a kingdom like David's, but established and never torn down. We will see a kingdom, not a standard kingdom, but a kingdom that will have a throne that's established for eternity, forever with an eternal king sitting on that throne. See, David died, but Jesus, this king won't. This is a messianic prophecy that Isaiah is telling us will come, the great Messiah of the house of David. In many ways, this is a confidence-boosting instruction by Isaiah. He's prophesying from God. He's simply saying there's going to be a forest or stump and then there's going to be a shoot. He's saying what God is saying. If he was trying to convince us of something that had happened, that he was saying this was old scripture and was actually lying. And this isn't real prophecy of people foreknowing and foretelling what will happen. If he was doing that, it, it would have made a chapter break. It would have made a bigger deal. But this imagery we see is God revealing to people what will happen in order for them to wait well. Do you understand that, church? In order for them to wait well, why does God bother with prophecy? Because he's a God that doesn't, doesn't just do surprises. He says, you can be faithful in me because what I tell you will happen, will happen. As I run through this prophecy, it's just what's going to happen. 700 years they had to wait. I find that confidence boosting and comforting in my journey with Jesus to know that Isaiah isn't actually just trying to prove something that happened to convince us of a religion, but is actually saying this is what will happen. And it happened in a way that is exactly right 
but also contextually different. 700 years versus one verse. I think it's going some way to reveal the timelessness of God's plan and the accuracy of prophetic word. You see, God is, is outside of our time and we live by seconds and minutes and hours and days and months or weeks and years. We live by these time frames and so we feel it. We feel the weight as either, and I'm really pleased I'm not yet 40, I can wait a long time for that. Or, man, this life has gone so quickly. I wish I had far more time. We feel time emotionally. It affects our lives. But God lives in a world that is far beyond our seconds, minutes and hours. He lives outside of it and yet he says, I will come to it. And you need to see it from my perspective and then you can live free of it. Judah, the whole house of Israel, they now know through Isaiah that something will happen out of the death of David's kingdom. And so they can wait now with wisdom. But oh, how difficult that is. <laughs> how difficult that is to wait with wisdom. They waited. Some waited well, some, some didn't wait well. Some falling further and further away when, when we have to wait. Some of us are like that naturally. You make me wait, I'm going to go do something that actually gives me fulfilment in the now. I'm going to go spend my time um, doing something that rewards me. I'm not going to wait for, for a reward that I don't have now. I need it now, so I'm going to go. Money, partners, sex, cars, all those things that we just go, I'm going to get pleasure right now, I'm going to get fulfilment right now. Changing jobs left, right and centre because this is now my new fulfilment. Projects, extensions, all these things in our lives. But God says, no, the time you have is a good waiting time to find fulfilment in that silence. God isn't a click and collect kind of God. He is a God that works in a time frame that is right for him and us, but we just don't fully get it in a 21st century Amazon culture. We feel that God can be distant in the waiting. I'm going to get my comfort from someone else who isn't as distant feeling. And where does that turn us? What other gods, therefore, do we start worshipping as idols? Because we feel like his waiting game is too long for our satisfaction. Friends, I want to tell you, this is something I'm learning so deeply, that in the waiting there is far more satisfaction in the worship of God, Jesus Christ, Yahweh as Father, Holy Spirit now and present, in the waiting and worship of that God, there is so much fulfilment than those little flickers of chocolates that we love to get fulfilment from. We train Ezra to wait with his advent calendar. Right, now today you're going to get one. We've got this great advent calendar with toys in it. And so it's a great present from a, from a friend of ours and, and, and he gets a toy out and then he wants another one. But the point is, he wait each day. He doesn't get that. He doesn't want to get that. There's 25 toys in here. I want them all now. But we're waiting him. We're training him to wait. And yet I get up and go, Amazon, 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 Amazon. I don't wait. What is it in me that wants to pair it in a way that trains him to wait? Yet I'm not actually waiting well. Massive conviction of sin. How do we? 
train ourselves to look at it from God's perspective of waiting. And so as we look into our actual passage here, I want to show you someone um, who waited beautifully. Simeon. You see, the shoot of Jesse was coming. And Simeon was a man that we, we meet in Luke chapter 2. And it says this, he, he was by the Spirit waiting in his old age. It says, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts where, where the parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, brought in the Christ child to do with him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, May you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. Simeon was filled with the Spirit, and God had said, you won't die until you see the Messiah. And then he saw him. He was willing to wait in his old age, and now he's got it. This child is destined, he tells the parents to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against and so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too, he says to Mary and Joseph. A man who was willing to wait many, many, many years for Jesus to come. And when he did, he knew that through the Spirit he would speak words of great prophecy and great wisdom. That is the patient of a saint. That is the spirit-filled Christian, where the fruit of the spirit patience is a reality. And we wait in Advent, hand in hand, together as church. When it's hard, we wait, but we don't wait without knowledge. We don't wait without knowledge. You see, what are we waiting for? Jesus has come. We've spoken a little bit about this, but we are waiting simply for him to come again. But we are busy whilst we're waiting. And we'll get to a little bit of that later on. But we are waiting for him to come again. His kingdom to come. We're sojourners and journeyers and wanderers and waiters in this life. For Jesus to come back and heal the nations. It's bizarre and it's unique. But it's an identity that we have amongst the people of earth. We as Christians have a, a new identity with people of an age to come living in the age now, residing here in a foreign land, waiting for the rule. You see, we're patient waiters for something we know is coming and we live this life as if we want that kingdom to come. So we tell the world of what his rule will be like, this shoot of Jesse, this great king to come of David's line. What will his rule be like, we tell people? but also we work to affect the world with the characteristics of the coming age. We're a witness to the rule to come. We're a witness to the eternal throne. We're an image of the rule in the kingdom to come. That's why we talk about the kingdom. Well, let's look at it. From the root of Jesse comes a fruitful branch and a shoot. And then we see that the Spirit, the Spirit does something. The Spirit on this person, on this King, the Spirit is descended and he has wisdom and understanding. 
Jesus says himself in Luke chapter four, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to pray, to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, Isaiah says. And Jesus stands there in Luke chapter four and says, yep, what Isaiah says is me. 700 years later, guys, I am now here. The spirit of the Lord, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and of might. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. See, he has in him a godliness of wisdom and understanding which is the foundation for the next two couples that he gives us. Without wisdom and understanding, he can't give counsel with might. If you're going to give counsel and be powerful, you need to do it with wisdom and understanding. But this is a spirit of wisdom and understanding. This isn't just education and having gone to the bar to be a great judge, to give good counsel. No, this is godliness. This is God-given spirit. This is God in his wisdom, in his understanding, in his full knowledge, giving counsel and being mighty. And he has knowledge and fear of God. The point of the spirit of the shoot of Jesse is that he's totally equipped to rule and lead. He is totally equipped, far better than any expert that we can summon up on earth. He is the ruler of the world who has all that's needed for good counsel, for right knowledge, in the right position of fearing the Lord who is understanding wisdom. Do you long for leadership like that? Can you imagine a country led like that? Can you imagine a department in our government led with this spirit upon it? Can you imagine the United Kingdom with all knowledge and fear of the Lord in our leadership, not just a nice Christian, a nice person that has kind of similar values or, or, or a couple of values that we really care about, you might say it's not worth, it's not going to happen. It's not worth even thinking about. But friends, it is. It is going to happen. Not in any of our two-party politics. No, it's not going to happen in this age. No, because humans will never do this. We can't. But it will happen because Christ will return and he will be our Lord, our master, our government. He will be the king. Can you actually imagine that for a second? Do you believe that for a second? We live a life looking like him. We live a life longing for him. But the reality is none of these characteristics are perfect in us. But we're growing into his likeness. And in that we're longing for his kingdom. And so as we look at our politics and our leadership, we long for his and we stand up looking like his when we can affect it. So when we vote, we don't just go, well, he's not here yet, so we won't, we won't even think about voting like a Christian. We long for the things that look and smell a little bit like Jesus' leadership. So on our conscience in prayer, we vote like that, however we vote. But the reality comes down to the fact that we're not going to fix it here. We don't vote with the confidence in politics like we have in Christ. We don't do that. We can't. We stand for the things that Jesus does, truth and justice, for understanding and wisdom. When people ask why, well, we know our answer because we are here as forerunners. 
We are here waiting. And so as we wait, we spread his kingdom. The other thing to note is that he is coming not just to rule and reign, but to rescue. This spirit of knowledge and understanding and wisdom is actually a rescue from the suppression of truth and knowledge and wisdom. We think we're getting wiser and wiser and wiser. In some ways we are, but in many ways we're finding ourselves repressed more and more and more. That the knowledge and truth and fake news, who knows what's truth anymore? You know, we think we know truth, but then science develops. That's cool. It's exciting. But we don't know how, how far truth is. We don't know how far wisdom goes. And it will keep growing. But we see in verse 3, Jesus' delight is in the fear of the Lord. Can you just hold there for a second? Verse 3, just, just look at that. How does that make you feel? That his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Do you delight in being afraid? I don't. That's not where I'm most delighted, when I'm fearful. But Jesus is delighted when he's fearful of the Lord. That's a strange statement. Let me just unpack it a little bit. When you stand in a presence of Christ and you feel his joy, to stand in awe of God, it is a powerful, trembling experience. You may not have had something like that. I, I, I'm going to suggest wait and see. Get into a place of prayer and wait for Jesus. It's not that we're doing that to prove anything, but as we wait and we converse and we spend time with our living God through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see something of his strength and beauty. We can see there that he is far more powerful than us. He's far bigger than us. And that here we are to be fearful of his power. But as we're fearful of his power and his judgment, we also know that he is a good, loving God. We stand in the joy and the awe of God to tremble at the prospect of displeasing him. We fall in line with the Lord. We want to do his will because we know that that is, that is a joy of our hearts. We're made to do it. But also we know if we don't do that, then we displease God. And that is not how we want our leadership to be doing. It's the person whose judgment would be absolutely right is the one that's fearful of judging differently to how God would. While Jesus, the son of God, is standing in delight of the fear of the Lord because he knows exactly how to judge rightly. We are bad leaders. We have awful nations across the world because people don't fear the Lord. When someone's delight is in pleasing themselves, pleasing their own pockets, not in worrying about how God will judge them for judging wrongly, then we get bad leadership. That's when we will lead others imperfectly. But when we stand there and go, I'm going to lead to honour God and glorify God, then we know we're going to lead well. Verse 3, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what he hears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness with the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. He doesn't judge 
with simple sight or simple hearing. It's not the looks that he judges by, but he judges by correct splitting of where things should be, of equity, of equality. It's with truth and knowledge that he comes into a situation, not with your smile in the courtroom, that woos him over. He is fair and good. To the poor, he will bring righteousness. For the meek of the earth, he will decide correctly. Can you imagine what it actually looked like for the poor to be treated brilliantly? And for the meek and the lowly to be judged rightly as opposed to have been pushed down more? What a king, what a God, what a world. In five verses, we see righteousness happen again and again. It's mentioned as the thing that he will hold up. It's the belt round his waist holding everything together. His loins are girded together with faithfulness. So we have righteousness and we have faithfulness. He's faithful to God and he's faithful to the people. He will not let them go. But again, we need to remember that this leader is the one that we really desire. The one that we desire for our church and you don't have. The one that we desire for our nation and we don't have. The one we desire for our organisations and our families and our world. But we don't have, but we will. And we are waiting. His joy is in the fear of the Lord, not in the fear of man. He is impartial and he knows where his joy comes from and he doesn't need your smile. But our smiles happen because under great leadership of our King Jesus, we find delight. Now, from that verse five to verse six, there's no time signature again. But we see that happened when Christ first came. This Christ child came as king and he didn't get on a throne and lead the world because that's coming in the second coming. So we see this mix here of first coming and second coming. And then we read these next statements in these verses, six to nine. Read with me. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow, the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Animals kill each other. Adders kill children. Snakes will bite and you will die. Lions eat calves. Bears and cows don't mix in the same field. But when this king comes back and rules fully, they will. Animals won't kill each other. Animals won't kill kids. Bacteria won't be threatening humanity. Viruses will not be spreading through households because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How much sea do you see without waters? The waters cover the sea. That's what the knowledge of the Lord will be like. And we are in this state where animals hurt each other and children are killed in these most awful situations. This is over creation as well as humanity. It's because we are not full of the knowledge of the Lord. But you are, aren't you? 
St. Andrews, you have some knowledge of the Lord. And that's why we are bringing in the kingdom to come, this kingdom between six and nine now, because we know something more of a world to come and we bring it into our lives. Why are we trying to be holy? Why are we trying to rid ourselves of, of sinful behavior? Because that is of the kingdom to come. And we bring it into our lives now as a witness and as a sign to this king. This kingdom is global. It is the whole earth. It'll be full of the knowledge and it will be so exciting. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, will not be funny anymore because no one's scared of those animals in the kingdom of God. This is a new creation. And this is what Advent's for. We live now and in the not yet. But we live now with the characteristics growing in us, in our knowledge of the Lord of the world to come. And this is so key in Advent because we are waiting and working with the same power of the Spirit that rested on Christ that we see in that shoot of David in the first half of this chapter. This is the place that it's coming to. This is the place that's coming to us, not us going after death to heaven. It's coming here. This world will change and death will be no more. That's what the cross enabled for both creation and humanity to come together under the new rule of a new king. This is Advent 2020. The darkness will be gone. The light will come, but he's still asking us to wait. And we don't know how long for, but it will come. Isaiah tells us of a leader and a king. The voice of the prophet tells us that he will come to fully rule and his world will have none of the darkness of ours. But he has already come in that child, the blessed Messiah, the Christ child. The king didn't come with horses and chariots and tanks and armies as we expect leaders to. But he came as one like you, one like me, lowly, meek, he came as one of the, the most hated of people's refugees and poverty, the odd ones of this world, from a virgin in an unmarried relationship, comes to rule with wisdom and understanding far greater than ours. When we persecute because of all the things he looked like, he comes with real understanding and real knowledge. This Advent, friends, let's check our lives. Are we trying our darned best in the power of the spirit to live for, like the next kingdom in this one and if we're not well let's get going and let's train ourselves in waiting it's hard and it's difficult but together holding hands as a church family across the world we can learn to wait because it could be tomorrow it could be ten thousand years time but it will come because the voice of the prophet has told us, and that is the word of the Lord. Let's pray.